Welcome to the Payroll Podcast with your host, Nick Day. Find out what it takes to truly discover what it takes to elevate your career within payroll as we meet with the industry leaders who are shaping the industry for tomorrow. Hello, we are back with the first Payroll Question Time of 2024. I'm your host, Natalie Lloyd, and I'm delighted to have been invited to step in for our usual host, Nick Day, who unfortunately couldn't join us today. I'm an associate at JGA Recruitment Group, where I've been immersed into the world of payroll, HR and reward recruitment for about three years now, identifying exceptional talent and meeting industry leaders worldwide. I'm passionate about finding solutions in payroll teams, connecting payroll professionals with perfect opportunities and highlighting payroll significance in management trends, tech, leadership and compliance. I'm equally committed to JGA's mission of sustainable, carbon neutral recruitment, fostering diversity and making a positive environmental impact. So if you are joining us for today's PQT and share our vision for sustainability, diversity and opportunity, drop me a message. And while I'm not payroll matchmaking, I love to travel and cook and I'll never say no to the odd glass of wine at the end of the day, but I'm sure there's a couple of payrollers that will agree with me on that one. So anyway, that's enough from me. Let me introduce you to today's panel. First up, Simon. Yeah, good morning, everyone. Hope for it's afternoon. Don't even know what time of the day it is now. Uh, good to be with you. Um, Simon Parsons, Director of Compliance Strategies at SD Works. I'm also the chair of an uh, organization called Irene and the BCS Payroll Specialist Group. Um, I've been involved in payroll software development now for um, talking about uh, nearly 40 years, to be honest. So uh, when I joined, I have the MSc in, in payroll management. I was on part of the first cohort with the CIPP in the University of Westminster, uh, fellow of the Institute, and um, uh, I'm part of Reward 300. And Richard? So I've got a dog here and he's barking away. <laughs> he's part win. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, it's Richard George, Director of Education for the Payroll Centre. Uh, also a member of the Ward 300, also uh, an EPG member like the rest of us, um, 37 years in payroll um, and no chance of getting away or escaping. And last but not least, Karen. Hello, good afternoon, everybody. I can sympathise with you, Simon. I can't believe we're on the 25th of January already. Christmas felt like just yesterday. Um, I'm Karen Thompson. I am a director within the UK payroll and employment taxes team with AAB. Um, I too am part of the Reward 300, a chartered member of the CIPP, and I'm delighted to be here today to discuss and debate the topics at hand. Fantastic. So now that we have all got to know each other, let's delve into today's discussion topics. So we will be discussing government simplification drive, or is it more complex? Brexit rules for absence and holiday. Devolved government. National insurance changes, the employment law update, the latest from the SD Works Academy, and at the end we'll have some hot topics and a Q&A session. So Simon, would you like to start us off with tax simplification updates? Well, I guess the big one was actually the announcement of uh, payroll and benefits in kind, wasn't it? That was quite a major one. Uh, but there are also other initiatives coming along. So we're seeing increasingly the push away from paper. But are they tax simplification? I'm not sure. There are other government simplifications as well. I, I think if we talk about some of the employment law changes that are coming in, uh, they budge them as simplify, but I don't think, I think they complicate 
uh, and we'll come back to some of that. So the big announcement, I, I guess, that came to mind is uh, the announcement last week, wasn't it? Uh, time's flying by very quickly of the mandation of uh, payrolling benefits in kind from April 2026. Now, we've had a load of inquiries in through uh, ourselves saying, are you going to be ready for that? And there's an element of, I'm sure Karen's there as well as, well, we've actually been payrolling since 2016. So it's not really a change in that respect. What is the change? It's the mandation element is you'll have no choice uh, rather than it's something new, except there will be elements that are new because, of course, with uh, uh, mandating payroll and benefits in kind, there are a couple that currently can't be done. So they'll have to come up with the means of doing them. In effect, beneficial loans, and I think accommodation is the other one uh, from memory. So the element of uh, if you can't do those currently, they'll have to come up with a method of doing them. Um, but uh, yeah, we could go on for hours on payrolling benefits in kind, couldn't we? And opera law, but it's it's not new. This is the, what's new is the mandation. Super. And George or Karen, do you have anything to add? Richard. Well, so yeah, or Richard. Sorry, um, it's all right. Yes. <laughs> um, so I, I think you know it's fair to say that it isn't the biggest surprise ever. Um, obviously, we run a lot of payroll update courses, and whenever we talk about payroll and benefits, it's always the same question: When is it going to become mandatory? When's the P11D going to go? Well, now we know. I think probably the the biggest surprise is it was just a quick one announcement rather than something that sort of drifted in. And probably two is the time scale um, for something. Uh, obviously, someone like Simon or Karen who work in a big business where they have, I guess, the technology, it's in place already. But for a lot of smaller businesses, it's a, it's a shift change and a big one. So given that it is realistically two years away, I think in terms of what we usually do, it's very short um, and people have got to get their heads around that significant change because it's the effect on so even payrolling today it's the effect on tax codes it's the effect on staff understanding so i think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in relation to guidance um, and as simon said what's happening about those couple that we can't currently even do and where are we going to go with it because there are very good reasons why we can't payroll them so uh, yeah interesting thing but as i said like so many things, it was always going to happen. And, you know, in 10 years' time, we'll all look back and laugh like we did for RTI um, in some respects, I guess. But, you know, it gets rid of another form and it gets rid of another process. And it means that everything's in real time rather than everything to do with remuneration. Yes. So, Did you mean laugh, uh, Richard, or did you mean cry? A bit of both, maybe. Oh, OK. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I've got some I don't other things. Anymore, so, <laughs> as a non-payroller, <laughs> it's a laugh, I suppose. But <laughs> if I, I mean, a... I'm not surprised it's come in. Um, in fact, yeah, I'm an advocate of it. You know, as, as Simon says, we've been doing it 2016. I think though, there's some things. You know, two years is not a long time. You know, when we say to government departments, 18 months is ideal for software. And yes, we've been doing it. But are we just going to continue mirroring the P11D form? Or will this 
will they take the opportunity to actually look at payrolling of benefits and what do we report going forward? What don't we report? How is that going to work? But there was another bit as well, or two parts, actually. The first one is being in an accountancy firm, it's probably not so common with employers. But within the accountancy practice, we have what we call P11D only clients. So this could be the owner of a business um, who, for, you know, does other sorts, gets paid by other means. And I'm not going to profess how all that works. I am not an accountant. But we have to put on a page earn scheme in order to put that person on in order to submit a P11D. Because it's the only way you can only submit a P11D for an employee who's receiving a benefit. So it makes me wonder what might we do with that? Are, are we going to have to say to these companies, you're going to have to set up a pay-as-you-earn, which we do, pay-as-you-earn scheme, and report this monthly, pay the class 1A monthly. For example, company cars are quite common in this scheme. But how, where, do we, where do we take the tax from? There'll be no earnings. So there's some real nuances that are going to have to be thought about because clearly those individuals would not do payrolling at the moment. So is that. And then the other bit I think we need to be think carefully as payroll professionals and obviously sitting in both camps, as does Simon, uh, with employment taxes, where will that line be drawn? You know, you've got a will payroll process for our situation, what a client says, this is what I want to payroll and this is how I want you to treat it? Or will payroll, will the profession be expected to be more within the advisory space going forward? And if so, that needs to be, you know, careful consideration. Um, tax advice, of course, is is regulating tax advice. Payroll professional is not. So I think there's quite a bit as well as can we process it as we do now? Yes, we can. But will it change? And I think there are some other bits that perhaps have not yet been thought of or if they have we'll need to find out how we're going to operate yeah, I, i'm with you karen i think there's a lot of new i mean one thing that instantly comes to my mind is extended benefits after termination you know you can have a car for another year or whatever Indeed. it may be where usually not a big deal you're cracking a p11d so on and so forth but i think there's taking that as one example of many i think it it's quite a deep pool to consider outside of just having real time. Because the positive is huge. Everything goes real time for everybody. So accuracy, correct. So I get all that. But I think there's a lot of, as you quite rightly said, nuance around the outside of what we all currently do. Well, and there's there's an element here of thinking that the pay, payrolling through payroll at the moment is relatively straightforward if you have the data on time and it's accurate. But the reality of P11Ds and benefits is it rarely is accurate or on time. You actually get it late. And equally, the reporting in real time is it has to be in real time timetables. So the data has to be on the April or the, sorry, the March FPS for the conclusion of the year. There's no good coming along in July. You're too late. But with P11D, it is. So I think there's an element of the payroll aspects of change may be uh, relatively light, although there is an element of who's actually going to calculate the benefit charge. Because at the moment, it's only really dealing with the reporting. And the benefit charge seems to be something elsewhere. And equally, um, the uh, providers, I'm going to say, are not geared up for it. 
So you go to any uh, vehicle leasing company, um, they'll say that they'll support payrolling. The data is just rubbish and it's late. So there's all that sort of aspect uh, that uh, thinks. So there's a business transformation that has to occur over the next two years to make sure you're aligned. But can you have a client compliant piece of software that will do the reporting? Yeah, you can if you can give the compliant data. And I think that's where the struggles will be. Yeah. I mean, there's another consideration, of course, as well for accountancy firms, particularly maybe the smaller ones that, you know, they charge fees for pay, for producing P11Ds. So you've got the advisory side of it. Yes. And I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing, but businesses. So anybody who's listening and part of the, this webinar, you know, if you're in that business, you are going to have to start thinking about how you're going to fill that gap um, when it comes to, you know, income for fees, depending on the type of business that you are. Super. So as Simon did say, uh, we could go on about this for hours, but we don't have hours today. Um, but if you did want to know more about the subject, um, Nick did team up with Justin Recamini on JGA's payroll podcast um, on the episode on why payroll employment taxes rule the world. I will pop a link in the chat box for any of you that do want to hear more. Um, but as always, if you want to pop a question in, if you, if you don't feel like it's been covered, please do ask. Um, we have had a couple of updates from people. So it sounds like Richard, Karen and Simon, you did explain it pretty well. Somebody said they've been burying their head in the sand about payroll benefits in kind, but it feels like they're being brought into the sunlight. So, so we've obviously helped somebody out there. Um, so we've got another question here. What if a company already payrolls their benefits and need to make a correction for a previous tax year i.e. missing a payment through employer benefits in kind through the payroll. How is this best done? Currently, our payroll provider would submit a, submit a P11D return, or is it best to correct via EYU slash FPS? I was going to say, surely it's going to be a amended RTI. Seems to be the way. Yeah. EYUs don't exist anymore, so I would do it through RTI. So amended FPA. If I've been payrolling, different if you're doing amendment for a tax year that you weren't payrolling, you'd have to do an online P11D amendment. But if you've been payrolling, you would do it through your through RTI, your, your FPS or EPS. Depending I, I on guess where you that, that, that's clarification that we need as well. Um, is you know yes, that legacy process. You know, is there going to be a manual P11D for 2022? Transition. Or is it going to be uh, an, an uh, RTI return? Yeah, and then you've got you've got all the cases of things like um, we're now in unpaid maternity leave periods. They've still got the benefits. How what are you going to do? How are you going to collect the tax? Who's going to cover them? What's what's the class one A position? At the moment, you can't payroll um, class one A. It's in real time, but the proposal obviously is that you can. We already do it for. Um, sporting testimonials and termination payments. So I don't think it's a massive transition. I think one or two clients, I think even try to use that for their payrolling of benefits, which you're not allowed to do presently. But uh, I presume the concept is that that will change. But the class 1A liability is an employer liability on the total, whereas the class 1A liability is on an individual level on sporting testimonials. So there are, there are all these sorts of little join up bits of it sounds easy, doesn't it? 
But when you actually get into the differences in detail, Class 1A on benefits is an employer totality uh, liability, not individual levels at all. Whereas uh, that, I presume that's going to have to change. Then you've got your rounding point issues and uh, etc. So some of it is still in development and we'll have consultation. But I think uh, it's the business process that's really going to be hit. And going back to the question of uh, what if you have to change it, I think at the moment the way benefits are collected, they'll all have to be changed unless we change the view of thinking the data has to be upfront, accurate, with minor adjustments. But uh, as Karen says, EYU doesn't exist. I know it appears on HMRC letters. Uh, we had a meeting about that yesterday, didn't we, Karen? Um, end of we year did. update, earlier year update, don't exist. They haven't existed since April 2020. Um, so the use of them should cease, and hopefully HMRC will take that message on because they're not true. And actually telling employees and employers that that's what they've got to do is nonsense because there is no way to do them. But doing an FPS adjustment or through RTI is a potential, but it's a bit of a pain. But currently, I think there's an element of thinking the only value reported on an FPS is the amount benefit of benefit. Sometimes I think there's a perception that there's a breakdown, you know, or what have you reported for my medical insurance and what have you reported for this and did you get it right? If you look at an FPS submission for payrolling, there is a single value. How much was payrolled? That's all it is. Now, company cars is different. Yeah. But uh, we could go on about this forever, uh, Natalie. Uh, I think you know. And uh, we're probably getting quite, uh, you know, we're looking calm and collected, aren't we, Karen? But in reality, I think our blood is At the moment. <laughs> I have a feeling that in a few months, yeah, I think in a few months' time when we start seeing some of the detail or being asked to comment on some of the detail, yes. you, we, we, I think on this kind of uh, medium, we'll look like the swans underneath the legs will be going rapidly. <laughs> but I yes. think it'd be fair to say it will be a topic that will keep coming up on here, though. Yes, but okay. P11Ding and payrolling is easy, except we always get the data late that makes it really difficult. Yeah. Perfect. Well, it looks like we will be going on about it a little bit more in this episode, but we will move on to our first poll, which will be appearing on your screens shortly. Um, so our first poll for the day is, has your software provider instigated national insurance changes on time, which was the 6th of January, and what effect has it had on your business? We've got four responses here. You can go with yes, all good. We've had some issues, but it's okay. No, it's been a pain or other or not sure. If you could all answer the poll, we'll run through a few of the questions that are coming in while you're doing it. And afterwards, our panel will comment on the results. So a P11D question has just come in. In relation to P11Ds, oh no, I've lost the question. Here we go. In relation to P11Ds, is there any getting around the fact that in the first year after changing to payrolling, employees will have a reduced tax code for the previous year and be in taxed in real time, receiving a double hit of tax? Well, yeah, if, if you want me to have a go, Natalie, I'm quite happy to. I think Karen can as well. You're going to get a double hit regardless if you P11D. Uh, the first P11D is going to get you for the past year and the current year. 
in one go and then you may even by the time it's gone through and been processed with the self-assessment get the next year as well so you can actually get a three-year hit potential with the p11d processes now with payrolling they code out the current year so you may get the catch-up but that would have happened anyway and if i try and illustrate why so if i get 1500 pounds worth of medical benefit and that's reported in july the year after I've had that benefit, because that's when you do your P11Ds, uh, that when that's caught up, I will get hit for last year. I will get hit for the current year. But half the current year has gone past. So I'm getting hit for a year and a half with payrolling. You may get a little bit of that bounce, but it disappears because it's real time. That's just my thought. Some of the others may have different yeah. view. I would agree with that, Simon, because that's the thing. Um, with you know yourself that's why when hmrc improved their timelines for processing p11ds you know i don't know about if you go onto your personal tax account for example if you weren't payrolling you can actually get that included in your tax code for the year going forward so that when your p11d goes in there'll only be a little bit of shortfall perhaps because the price of the medical went up or something like that so it, it happens anyway um, so I would agree with everything Simon's just said. But it does. I think once you're payrolling, it does tend to even itself out much, much easier, much quicker. Fabulous. And another question coming in is what happens with payrolling if an employee is on unpaid leave at the end of the tax year? How about Richard? Well, that's a perfect question. <laughs> no. <laughs> I guess, well, as I said, it's a difficult one, isn't it? It's the principle of what do you do? Well, same as the maternity one. What happens when maternity runs out and the lady on maternity goes to zero, but there is still perhaps a car or pension, um, salary sacrifice, for instance? So it happens now. Um, I guess I don't really know the answer, Simon, at the moment. Well, that's right. It's sort of an unanswered, isn't it? At the moment, you can do sort of an odd P11D, but if they're going all together, what is the alternate? But uh, that will be part of the consultation exercise. And I'm sure, you know, I'd say Richard, um, Karen and I sit on the HMRC EPG. So that's the one of the highest level consultation panels. And I think uh, some meetings have already started to be set up. Certainly there's yeah. a software developer meeting. Uh, coming up, or is it? Yeah, I it actually think it is great as well. Yeah, I, I, got yes. the, I got the message yes. yesterday, Simon. Yeah. Yes. So, so it's um, happening fairly so the consultations, soon. Yeah, and we're, we're very quiet people that don't say anything to upset them, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there. Who's replaced it, Simon? <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's so. We seem to have had. Um, a great response on the poll. So if we could um, collect or ask the poll results now, um, we can run through the answers. So for those of you watching live, you'll see the results on screen. For anyone listening in audio only, I will read out the poll results for you. So has your software provider instigated NI changes on time and what effect has it had on your business? So for a lot of you, things are going great. 91% of you came back with the answer, yes, it's all good. 5% of you have had some issues, but it's okay. And 4% of you are not sure or have an other response. 
thankfully, no one has answered, no, it's been a pain. So next up, our, our panel will comment on the poll results. Um, Karen, should we start with you? Well, first of all, it's very encouraging to see that it went well. I was in a fortunate position that if I were, had been allowed to vote, I would have been in that 91% as well. Um, I think this, to be fair, is is credit to software developers. Absolutely, credit must go to them. And, of course, the payroll uh, professionals and the IT um, support teams in and around the country over that festive period to make this happen. Um, and the other reason I'm really pleased to see that it's such a high result is actually if we if it hadn't gone in, my goodness me, doing back data calculations would have been one heck of a faff um, and would have caused more problems. So, yeah, I'm really pleased that that everybody pulled out the stops to make that happen. And of course, at the end of the day, our, all of our employees benefited, including us with a lower percentage of NI. Uh, and Simon, anything to add? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's gone very well. Um, Karen well, may know that I was part of the original discussions leading up to the autumn statement. Um, I couldn't say anything before, but, uh, but certainly the message always is from software developers 18 months notice, and we were given six weeks notice. But um, but fortunately, they didn't play around with the employers and I see. Otherwise, that made things worse on class one A, class one B, PSAs and benefits, etc. cetera. Uh, the queries we have seen and we've had a number and they've probably come in as concerns, but I'd say they're not. They're correct. Is uh, the other topic that we had on the prior slide, which is the alternate method of national insurance contributions. When we're talking about directors NI. So some have been confused because they say, well, the director left in October. Why is the generation of a refund occurred in January as they've gone? And the reality is that the two, although it's a 2% drop for employees, it's a half percent. Oh, and that 2% drop was from the 6th of January. It's a half percent drop from directors from the 6th of April 2023. So it does affect the whole tax year. So even if they've left or even if they join now late, they get the 11.5% NIC contribution rate. Now, the alternate method is that it mirrors employees. So directors will have seen the 2% drop in January, February. But in March, it recalculates because that's the rules of directors NI and it'll do a blended 11.5% contribution. So most of that's hit in January for many, and that's asked questions. The results are right. Uh, but for others, they'll hit in March or the last pay period if they're a lever, uh, because the national insurance contributions to December are actually incorrect for directors. Brilliant. So let's move on to our next topic. This one is managing Brexit and devolution. So here we'll be covering rules on absence, holiday accrual, rolled up holidays and devolved government updates. So, Richard, can we start with you? Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, um, I guess it's a bit of a mixed bag, this one, on the grounds that it kind of, excuse me, it kind of takes in a few different things. So it sort of encompassed our lovely Leslie Brazil case 
and the situation we had with parts year and irregular hour workers. It also brought in the issue of the working time regulation on the grounds that we have two different regulations for holiday, 13 and 13A. And then possibly surprisingly, also brought back something that was made unlawful, which is rolled up holiday. So I guess for a lot of people, it's quite a, an unusual piece of legislation or guidance, um, especially it came out on the 1st of January um, when everybody was on holiday. Um, except for me, it seems, because I got about 17 emails saying, have you seen this? So principally, I guess let's start at the top. Um, allowing what was through a consultation, um, the pro rataing of entitlement for part year and uh, irregular hour workers based on a year. Um, so a period of 52 weeks. But this is different to, for instance, the 52 week average calculation for pay on the grounds that it is just 52 weeks, including weeks they don't work, et cetera, et cetera. So a true recognition of the actual hours done in the year. The second thing then is keeping regulation 13 and 13A holiday separate. However, there is going to be some work around which is which um, and what you apply to each, which is going to be fun. Um, but the third one then is rolled up holiday, um, allowing employers to roll holiday back up again. So again, in principle, for those, uh, I guess, zero hours, irregular hour and part year working. Um, but again, a very different model where it's going to be done on the pay reference or the pay period. So the calculation is done each pay period per pay period on actual earnings, not salary and overtime or whatever it may be. So I guess that's really the three core aspects that we need to consider. I guess with the rolled up holiday, the most interesting aspect of it is as an employer, you can kind of do what you like. So you can have some people rolled up and some people not. Um, it's completely down to the employer. And I guess the positive there is there will be people where it's harder to calculate holiday pay or for them to take holiday um, than others. So in those areas, you would expect the rolled up holiday could actually be a value. Will that do? I think that's probably it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Sam, you were smiling, smiling throughout that, like you had a few things to add. Well, well yeah, th this is the, the biggest contradictory label I think the government could put out is uh, simplifying holiday pay. This is not simple. Let's be quite honest. It, um, if you think it is, because some the, the immediate reaction on social media is we've gone back to a method we used to have. Um, if you believe that, you haven't read the details because it's nothing like what people used to do with 1207%. And actually, if you look at the guidance, it actually uh, gives increasing percentages uh, for, in its example, a six week holiday entitlement. So that would give you 13 point uh, something else. Plus, it has two protections in it. So two important protections of Regulation 13A, 13B and uh, Employment Rights Act. Um, I'm going to guess the sections now, but is it 223, 224 around that sort of area of the 52 week average holiday pay is um, it excludes weeks with statutory payment, etc. Um, so if you're sick or on statutory maternity pay or maternity leave, uh, you have an elements of protection. And what they have done 
is they've included those protections in the accrual basis and rolled up holiday. So although uh, I think as uh, Richard is alluding there, it's gone to a period base because they've never recognized monthly payroll frequencies because everyone's paid weekly, of course. Uh, there's no such thing as monthly in employment law. It feels like on holiday pay. They've actually recognized that you can actually have monthly. So there is a monthly accrual and a monthly rolled up holiday. But when it comes to sickness, a maternity, parental leave, you know, et cetera, uh, it goes back to a 52 week average, uh, which can be over 104 weeks if there's periods of sickness and maternity. So actually, they've made it more complicated than it was before in some respects. I don't know if others agree. Uh, all I've got to say is I've, I've cracked our design, but I spent some time on it. And uh, and I know how to do it now. Uh, I put a price label on that. So if anybody else wants it, you have to pay me. But um, uh, was it easy? It certainly wasn't. And the other aspect is the data has to be right. So if someone's implementing this in April, how are you going to calculate the averages? Because you won't know you've had to keep that data before, but you'll need it now. Uh, that that's sort of immediate thought. So was it simplify, simplifying holiday pay? Absolutely not simplifying holiday pay. Um, we've managed to get a contact to the DBT from a software developer point of view who we're trying to engage with. But uh, I've got to say uh, the DBT don't like to work in hypotheticals. They tell us they like to deal with fact. The problem with fact is it's retrospective. <laughs> of course, we need to develop software for the future, not for something that happened in the past. And so it's yeah. going to be interesting times. Yeah. I oh, think it's the other aspect is people think that this applies from the 1st of April 2024. It doesn't. It's for holiday years that commence on or after. Well, I was going to say, I agree with, with that. When I when I was so excited, and I don't think I've ever been, well, no, I, I, it's quite sad, excited <laughs> with legislation, really excited that this was being looked up as part of the EU reforms legislation and everything else. But yes, at last we can do something. And no, I was disappointed. So when I saw it come out, I thought, yeah, we're going to simply. And then I was actually, Simon, I was reading your pay advice article, actually thinking, OK, that actually makes a bit more sense. Because when you look at the guidance when, you know, obviously, thankfully, I wasn't working on the 1st of January and I certainly wouldn't have looked at this. But do you know what I find really interesting here? And the reason is, is it simplification? No, it is not. And Simon's just described some of the reasons why. Will it cause confusion just as holiday pay was before and entitlement? Yes. But one of the things that really got me, and forgive me, I'm going to read this from the screen here. This is the guidance that was published, and it's on the very first introduction page. And it says, it does not provide definitive answers to all individual queries. It is not intended to be relied upon in any specific context or as a substitute for seeking advice, legal or otherwise. Can I ask where are the legal advisors going to go to actually interpret this not simplified legislation? So will this just lead now to it won't lead to we were talking about this won't lead to EU cases, but it may lead to tribunal cases here in the UK. So I'm not convinced 
that we've seen the end to holiday pay and leave. And I think it's, you know, and I, I, I don't like to be negative. I really don't. But employers wading their way through this and coming up with a decision when even the government, I mean, how would a government department challenge what an employer is or isn't doing? And then, of course, the main thing it keeps going on, which is obviously true, is that it's to be fair to the employee. The employee should not lose out when on holiday as if they were working, which I understand that. So it'll be interesting to see how employers do interpret this, how HR employment law advisors interpret this because i don't know if you see this as well simon but pay, you know we have a lot of clients who come to payroll for this advice and you know as simon says we need the data we need to know when they were on holiday and we are still going to need to know depending on which calculation an employer is going to use we may need the data go back well when were they on holiday what did they do at this point and at this point so i I think it's still going to be as complex for us as a bureau um, as it will be for employers. But let's wait and see. You know, I'll, I'll remain positive and hope. Yeah, I'm just fearful, Natalie. Uh, if you said when, when will software be ready to implement the solutions on this? It's so large, it won't be April. Oh, OK. Um, all right. It, it'd be virtually impossible. They couldn't even test it by then, even if they're writing it now. Um, so um, has it done away with the spreadsheets? Not yet. But if you say how how comfortable are we in coming up with something that would do this? We're talking of the autumn. Just because of the amount of work that's going in. And we've got a budget potentially and we're do, just dealing off uh, the other. So there's an element of, uh, but will employers be ready? Because there's an element of, um, uh, you think, well, I can just implement this. Well, I think you need to lead, read further in the guidance that Karen has uh, referred to, because it implies that you need to consult. So you then have to go through your consultation process because it's potentially a change to your terms and conditions. Because ultimately, holiday pay schemes are set by the employer but underpinned by a statutory right. So an employer can do something different. But what they're not meant to do is do something less uh, than the rights of the individuals. But we already know that for many employers, they do, the holiday doesn't align with current employment law, uh, hence why I guess they were reviewing it. So it's an interesting area of debate. And the other angle is if you want to adopt this, your rules may have to drastically change. So what is the terms of your contract? What are your T's and T's? What's your scheme rules? All of those may need to be appropriately reviewed, as Karen was saying there on the introduction, by your legal advisors to ensure that they're, you're, you're actually sound. So it's quite an exercise. Of course, will we have software ready, to, uh, say, for the autumn? We should be all good to go. We can support this. Doing 12.07% of rolled up holiday is easy. That's easy. When they go on maternity, ah, now it's not. When they go on sickness, ah, now it's not. And I think there's an implication because many of the rolled up holiday schemes I've seen in the past are only based on basic. So they don't include the additional hours. You know, they can, they tend to be a bit, um, you know, I've seen students that work in 27 hours for certain retailers. When they go on holiday, they'll get uh, their seven hours contracted hours rolled up holiday. In their pay that's not permitted in this legislation There's, i'm sorry it's not and it's 
all pay. All pay is topped up by the relevant percentage that's being applied. And there is a top up when they are sick and on statutory pay. And that's the interesting aspect I think employers need to look at. Because at the moment, the rolled up holiday schemes only pay when you're paid. Here, it pays you when you're not paid. And there's an element of if I wasn't due to work next week, can I sending a doctor's note and at least I get my holiday rather than do nothing and those sorts of things. So there's an element of, oh, all right, every time I'm not scheduled to work, I'll just send in a sick note and then I'll be due it. And that's the same with the holiday accrual basis. So I, I think you can tell, Natalie, I could go on for days on this subject. <laughs> Anyone listening on audio only, um, every time somebody's speaking, um, I can see Karen like excitedly nodding along. So any more questions that are going to come in, I'm going to fire them straight to Karen. Yay. Super exciting. <laughs> well, stop being the nodding dog, please. <laughs> I was going to make a Churchill reference, but I didn't know if it was allowed. <laughs> Have you ever asked yourself, how can I recruit payroll staff effectively? Please don't give up on your recruitment project just yet. Here at JGA Payroll Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top payroll talent. We also understand just how costly a poor payroll hire can be. JGA Recruitment are a niche payroll recruitment agency who will partner with you to resource payroll candidates who will improve both the accuracy and efficiency of your payroll department. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. Our next poll is all around holiday. And the question is, are you changing your company holiday scheme? So as always, we've got four answers here. First answer is that you'll have a new accrual. Second, new rolled up holiday. Thirdly, we'll stay as we are. And four, you've got no idea yet. So if you could all select an answer that, that suits your situation, while the answers are coming in, we'll run through a couple more questions as well. And I think we all know who this question is going to be fired at. How do you do an FPS correction? Should SD Works do that for us if we ask them? Simon? Oh, I'll, I'll happily do an, S, an FPS correction for you, but it will come with a charge because that will uh, uh, require extra work to be undertaken. So, yeah, the other method of doing it is through the BPT. But just remember, when you do FPS corrections, there are other implications, and we often see that employers forget it because it may well adjust your app levy liability as an employer as well. And quite often we find that. And the reason we have lots of people come with an FPS adjustment requirement is quite often for share schemes. And there's an element of why. Why are you adjusting last year? Because under the unlawed before principles and the exceptions to that and ad hoc payments, you can account for it now and record it in your next regular FPS. So why are we opening up old years? So there is an element of danger. The other aspect of um, going back and doing prior years is you will get an interest charge because your payment is late. You should have paid it by the 22nd of May. So you think, oh, well, it's new, it wasn't known before. You're late. 
so uh, sometimes I think there's a view of uh, making adjustments to last year. We're not late. We're doing it because that's an activity that's come up now. Now, you are late because the statutory deadline was 19th of April for the reporting of that, and you're now late. So potentially it opens you up to penalty position, potentially, although people will put a late reporting reason H, correction, uh, still is late. There will be interest. There's an app levy impact. So, but will we, uh, can SD Works do that for you? We can, but we will charge. Fantastic. And what will, oh, hang on. Would the tax refunds during unpaid leave cover the tax? Maybe not always all of it? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think we'd have to find out a little bit on the consultation, won't we, Karen? Because in yeah, theory, sorry, there is no pay, if there's no payment, there is no tax refund. Yeah. Sure. And another one that's just come in here. How currently, when payrolling benefits, should employers manage total class 1A employer yearly liability for periods when employees have zero pay? Well, at the moment, it's all dealt with by form P11DB and reported uh, after the close of the tax year and the payment goes yeah. across in July. So there isn't a, an issue with it. However, it's a challenge that HMRC needs to come up with an answer for April 2026. Fantastic. Um, this one sounds a little bit like a trick question, like the, um, like the question asker already knows the answer. Um, what about one-off benefits, which would normally be included on a P11Z? Richard? Well, again, they'd have to be payroll in real time when received, you would suspect. I would agree. So it's when payment is made or benefit is received. Yeah. But it's, it's an area where there is an advantage in payrolling. Because currently in P11D world for a one-off benefit, HMRC don't treat it as one-off. They'll assume you'll have it forever. Whereas in payrolling, it's reality. Yes, it would uh, certainly have a positive effect on smart coding. For sure. So somebody else has asked if it is for leave years starting 1st of April 2024, does that mean if your leave year starts in January, it would be the 1st of January 25 before anything changes? Yeah, absolutely. The, the principle is it's the holiday year that starts on or after that date. Fantastic. So we'll probably have a few, um, a few people here that are kind of having a sigh of relief that they don't <laughs> they don't have to change too much until January next year. So we've got heaps of um, heaps of answers coming in for the poll here. I think we're almost ready to discuss the results. Um, so we'll get that, those up on the screen for you now. So I think it's going to be the bottom one. Hey, good against that. Yeah, <laughs> me too. If I could vote. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you in audio only, um, the question was, will you be changing your holiday, uh, your company holiday <laughs> scheme? Um, and you may have guessed it. There is only 3% with a new accrual, 4% with a new rolled up holiday. 39% of you will be staying as you are and 54% have absolutely no idea yet. 
So um, the, the panel feel like they they guessed that and that they knew it was coming. Um, so Karen, do you have do you have anything to say? Well, I'm not surprised because one um, case law is never that easy to follow and everything else. When the guidance has come out, obviously, 1st of January, people might only just be realising it's there. Um, and then we've got to, you know, payroll with HR or our, advi you know, advisors that people use. We'll have to sit down, get together. People are just catching up after Christmas and so forth. So. It doesn't surprise me that it's no idea yet. I mean, we are, you know, just as a message, we are going to get to, we're going to, have, going to have to get to the bottom of it and do just like, because obviously we need to tell our employees what to do. If you're an agent, you're going to have to say to clients who will be looking for support on what to do. And as you, as Simon's already said, you know, there was no way software was going to be ready with this um, because there's just too many different moving parts to it but if software can get something in by autumn then we'll also be talking to our software providers to see uh, what we can do so yeah it doesn't surprise me at all i think it's also karen very business related so um over the next two weeks i'm at two really big universities um and it's going to be very interesting i'm going to use that phrase um to actually be talking to them about it in the next two weeks because um, obviously they're probably one of the highest impacted businesses, per se, organisations. So I think, it, you know, it is very relative to the kind of organisation that you are, that the effect that this is going to have. And of course, most establishments like that, local government and so forth, tend to have leave years from April. Absolutely. Super. So we, we seem to have covered that one. So we'll move on to our next topic, which is an update on employment law. So right now we're going to find out what are the latest updates. Um, and that will include carers rights, parental leave and hospitality slash compliance. So we'll start off with Simon on this one. Well, I'll say what I can say, because uh, when it goes into employment law, I start to go a bit faint. But uh, to a certain extent, but, uh, no, um, um, with some of them, uh, what are the latest dates? So there are new carers lights that come into play. Um, I'm saying this from memory. I think it's from 6th of April. So um, there's an element of a right to one week unpaid leave that's applying. And I'm saying that from memory, um, which which is good. Good news without risk of fear of losing a job etc it is only a week though and it is a week um, right to leave but that comes in and it's a day one right as well so if you join a new employer you don't have to wait 26 weeks before you have that right or number of years it is a day one right to that sort of thing similarly with parental leave the paternity leave changes coming in so you can have one or two weeks uh, paternity pay for births well, actually, it's not from births because actually the births could be taking place all right already for this right. It's for babies or that were expected to be born from the 7th of April. Why the 7th? Because uh, DWP law still operates in relation to Sundays, although the weeks can start on any day. The right only commences from Sunday, the 7th of April. So if a baby was due to be drawn born on the 6th, tough, you've missed it, you're not entitled, even if the baby is born later. But if the baby is due to be born on the 7th and it's born two months early, you actually have that right 
right now, as it were, immediately. Uh, for adoption, it's different, and this is all relating to how law is written. So with adoption, it's actually a right in relation to the 6th of April, because it's a, a slightly different piece of legislation that layers in with a slightly different uh, rate. Also, I guess we've got the potentials uh, later in the year. And I'm, I'm looking to Richard a bit. I'm, I'm trying to think, are you on the statutory payments consultation as well with me? I can't yeah. remember. But I am. Neonatal, neonatal pay rights may well start applying from October. Watch this space. Those are the ones that I can think of. Uh, there may be other employment yeah. rights that are coming into play as well, well that some of the other panel can talk about. I was going to say with carers yeah. as well, you can also take in half days and full days up Absolutely. to the week. Um, important, though, to note the, the, the notice that has to be given is is the needs to give give notice twice the amount of the leave that they wish to take. This is intended. Um, obviously, it's still waiting to pass. It. It's, it's been passed as a bill, but still waiting for all everything to come out. Um, and they don't need to request leave uh, in writing. Um, so I think that's important. They don't need to provide proof either. So you know that that's where that is. And the neonatal oh, okay. care. Go on, so I was going to say the neonatal care, um, there's a media going on at the minute that's suggesting that it might be moved to April 25. So I think there was hope it would be October, but it's suggesting if you look at working families and other groups that obviously for mums and everything else and dads, it looks like it might be April 25 um, before that yeah. might come in. Yeah, and I think the complication there again Karen is uh, whether it's expected birth dates, uh, judgment point, and a neonatal, of course, they'd be really premature. So, or, um, does it therefore kick in earlier? Yeah. Yes. But yeah. It's so I think there's quite a bit to stuff. sort out with that. Yeah, I think it's quite disappointing with the neonatal as well, because I mean, the consultation closed in 2019 <laughs> on that one. So it's uh, very long standing in relation to it's been dragging along dramatically i think just on the back of simon as well there's a couple of other nuances so the parental leave is uh, a year going forward rather than the first 56 days which is quite key yes. um, and i think people we, from the experience we're having yeah. people are getting very confused about what carers leave is do i have to be a carer and the answer is absolutely not you know it is literally i've got to take my mother-in-law to hospital this afternoon kind of thing um so as you say it could be very bitty uh and will it be for the payroll department to control how much they've had in the year you know it, it's it's there's so many bits and bobs to these things um but i think the payroll needs to know when it's unpaid absolutely but i think neonatal is becoming a bit uncomfortable now um you know it keeps rolling on and rolling on so uh, we'll see what happens. But I think w with these subjects and the subject we talked about, holiday pay, sometimes I think there can be a view in business that that's a payroll problem. And uh, trying to put it out there, this isn't a payroll problem. They may be part of the solution. It's a business problem. So the, it, it deals with HR policies, terms and conditions, all sorts of things. So it's a very much intertwined, interconnecting uh, challenge. So if you're just saying yeah. payroll are going to deal with this, um, no. you, 
business is going to fail. I would agree with that. Payroll needs to know if the employer is going is using the legislation or the bill that says it does not require to be paid. That's not to say an employer can't pay it. So I think, you know, there, there's a number of things that the, a business needs to consider here. But that's the only thing that payroll would need to know um, is that somebody was not to have pay for a day. Um, let's look up with our rolled up holiday pay and um, everything else um, or the employer may choose to, to pay something. So that's for a business to decide. Payroll need the instruction as we would with anything else. And I guess the subject we haven't covered on here, Natalie, at the bottom is probably in relation to it says hospitality. And I think elements of that uh, where you've got the tips uh, legislation that will soon come to force. I think there's a code of conduct already, but uh, there's an element of you know tips will have to be paid to employees. Uh, there's a there's, consultation uh, going on on that one, Simon. The uh, distributing tips fairly code of practice finishes on the 22nd of February. And I think there'll be heaps of people in the hospitality industry cheering on that one. Um, so we've got we've got some great updates there, especially if you are due to be a new father after the 7th of April. Sorry if you're on the dick. <laughs> um, so I guess one question I had, and it's, it's maybe not super payroll related, but um, it's more of a question on benchmarking. So you probably all saw in the news that a very well-known European supermarket um, has become the first supermarket in the UK to introduce 28 weeks of paid maternity and adoption leave, um, doubling their previous offering from 14 to 28 weeks. Um, they now offer the most competitive parental leave package in any UK supermarket. Um, and that is or has been implemented from the 1st of Jan, in addition to their updated fertility treatment leave, compassionate leave and bereavement leave following pregnancy loss. So do you think this is going to set a benchmark across the industry? Do you think we're going to see more organisations kind of up in their, their paid leave? You're all squinting and not sure. <laughs> well, I can only go by what I'm seeing so far. I, I, can, I, can, I can only say I've not seen a massive uptake in clients saying to us, our T's and C's have changed and here is our new occupational maternity policy that's not to say that they're not considering and that that won't come um i would imagine i mean if you think about it holidays everything that we've just talked about that's in that employment space um you know, there's a lot going on so i would suggest that hr advisors departments you know wherever that whether it's internal or retained or what have you they'll be talking about things these things i think as a whole rather than perhaps separately would you know that's if i were a business then that's what i would be doing is trying to think right what do we look and do now what do our employees want so maybe doing surveys within their employees what's important to them and, and so forth so i haven't seen this sudden surge um in at all in, in t's and c's changing but say i would suggest i would hope maybe that it's being considered along with everything else you think also the, the whole world world of simplification is something that employers will be considering. So rather than having 57 different ways of doing it, actually over delivering, such as the client people you were talking about, Natalie, to remove it altogether or to remove chunks of it altogether. 
Um, because, you know, as I said, how much time do you want to spend on this in comparison to why not just give them a bit more than they're due and make it a blanket easement, if that makes sense? So I think simplification is going to be a big part of this for a lot of employers. I think I think that might be the, the theme of the theme of the day. Yeah, but let's have some true <laughs> simplification. Employers are good at that. <laughs> yeah, the the cation seems seems to be uh, involved a lot, but not the simple at the front. It seems to be uh, more more uh, comp than uh, than simp. But uh, <laughs> yes, but uh, will it start to trend? Actually, I hope it does to a certain extent, uh, Natalie. Will it be fast? I'm not sure it will. I'm not convinced. I think a lot of business is driven on a cost basis and they can't afford it or they'll say they can't afford it. Uh, it's it's sort of a policy that's common in uh, government or local governments, uh, certainly education sort of market that they people can get those sorts of entitlements. And there may be an element of competition because um, between types of people, that uh, would work in both maybe. And also it gives an advantage where I guess for a business, they're currently uh, not able to. But it goes back also, I think, to some of the principles we'd have talked about. If we were holding this uh, five or six years ago with gender pay gap reporting, we don't really hear a lot about that these days, do we? But the, the predominant focus of the um, Equalities Office of the, uh, was it DFE that actually were doing it? I can't remember who it was now, Karen, um, but so, yeah. Was the, yeah, was lost. They called them, forgive my terminology here, but it's the terminology they used, lost women. So uh, the That's problem right. was, what do we do about lost women? And what they mean about lost women are those who are out doing child and elder care. And even today, you could say with more equality and paternity rights uh, and shared parental pay, um, the opportunity for more equal share of those responsibilities is around. But look at the statistics. The predominance is, uh, I'm allowed to say it, women that look after children. Now, I, on the whole, I don't think that's an issue. But the challenge is when they come back into the workplace, what happens? And so the lost women wasn't the issue. It was the issue of when they do return to the workplace, the men have been elevated up the promotion poll and the women haven't and the idea of gender pay gap reporting was to elevate them so that they come back uh, to an equal level and I'm not sure if business has picked up on that really yet or promoted that some businesses are have because they're part of some of the judging I think we did on some of the entries at, uh, for some of the competitions that Richard or even Karen get involved in but some are but many aren't so um, women may be elevated, but is it the lost women and is it equal uh, is just the thought. And I think some of these uh, policies are hopefully some businesses intent to uh, elevate more of an equal basis of, um, of uh, a future for the nation because you know they lose thousands of pounds. Um, we do populating our, our future as a nation. Because, uh, you know, our future, who's going to look after us when we retire and get old? It's going to be the youngsters of today you know, because our pension contributions in national insurance pay for nothing. They've spent it. So we're reliant on our future uh, generations to pay for our pension. 
Sorry, did I get political then? Are we actually going to get a pension, do you think, Simon? I don't know. Um, I, I keep I'm, just seeing my age getting higher and higher. <laughs> exactly. It'll be, it'll be 110 by the time I get there. <laughs> so um, but before they make us all start crying about how little pension we're going to receive, um, we will move on to something um, super positive, which is this month's SD Works Academy. Um, so you can check out the course calendar schedule online. Um, but I will quickly run through um, some, some upcoming courses. So starting next week, we've got the holiday pay course on the 31st of January. On the 5th of Feb, a family friendly policies course, followed by managing redundancy on the 7th of Feb. The Directors National Insurance on the 9th of February. We've got transfers on the 16th, recruitment and onboarding on the 19th. Payroll part one and preparing for 2024 on the 20th of February. And then we've got recruitment and payroll part two on the 21st. So some super exciting courses to sign up to there. Again, you can find it online on the SD Works website. I will put a link in the chat, bo chat box very, very shortly. Um, and of course, you should all keep an eye out for JGA's payroll roundtables as well. I'd love to see as many of you joining the chat as possible. So we have covered all of our hot topics so far for January. Um, but simple. we are, what's that, sorry? It's been very simple. Okay, yeah, yeah, definitely. Simplification. Um, but we've got a few questions coming in um, that we, we'd like to cover. So um, first up, we've got a question on 12.0% um, accrual. So with regards to the 12.07% accrual if the employee is off sick or on parental leave you have you have to go back 52 weeks from the day before the absence to me that reads that in payroll you would need to keep daily hours worked as the relevant period which does not equate to the pay period how does the panel interpret this as part of the dbt guidance from a bureau perspective we would not get a daily breakdown of hours worked just total hours to pay karen you probably are going to be the best one to answer this one well, I'm going to I'm probably going to pass quite quickly to Simon here because obviously Simon's considering this from a software. But this is the big problem, particularly as a bureau. You know, if you're an employer with a time and attendance system or some way of receiving hours where it, it's based on hours work. But for a bureau, you know, to be frank, we're not interested when they when they work it. We just want to know what they want to be paid. Um, you know, that's a payroll service. Um, so it's slightly different perhaps for an employer, but for a bureau. And this is going to be some of the things we already have this issue at the minute of trying to explain to clients why we need the data we need. It's not to pay people as we would normally. It's in order that to put some data into a spreadsheet, unfortunately, to help the support the client in calculating what pay is actually due. And this is going to continue where we hope. I think I think, Simon, it'd be fair to say software developers haven't done huge amount in this space simply because we knew that this was all going to get reviewed. So why would software develop something that would then be thrown up in the air potentially by the UK? So I think I'd probably look to Simon from a software of their thinking on how this might pan out, because to be fair, I know it's unfair on the software, but you know, as payroll professionals, we'll be looking ideally for support from software developers if payroll can support it in that way. But it's it's exactly that problem that with the your your listener um who's just said that. Yeah. No, it, exactly. 
so I can I can create an ability to do it. Will you give me the data to do it? That's the other angle of it. So I you can certify. It's like in the old days, you used to have people use um, HMRC accredited payroll software. Doesn't exist anymore. Hasn't done for a good um, you know probably 13, 14 years now. Um, but the reason for accreditation was to electronic file under the old Carter thing. But did people actually use it to file under the Carter? No, they didn't. But that was what the accreditation was for. And there's an element of here, you can give the ability, but will actually people use it? Uh, so there is that difficulty, and you're right. Uh, and often payroll doesn't even get hours. It was they did 10 hours, which is 200 quid. Oh, I'll send to payroll 200 quid. Well, if you don't get the 10 hours, how do you know they did 10 hours? And I think there will be that. So that's why a lot of revision of the business process will be required. But you're right. In holiday accrual, you'll need to average. It's it's not necessarily the prior day. It's the um, I believe it's the week before the prior date, the leave uh, ending on the Saturday or the set date for a weekly frequency. Um, weeks are always Sunday to Saturday except for weekly, which can be different. But if you're fortnightly, monthly, lunar, a week is always Saturday, Sunday to Saturday. The law doesn't permit any other variance to it. So it's an interesting concept of how do you know? So there may be, I'm going to give you some clues. It may be I have to proportion it as a guess because I don't know. So I know what calendar period coverage. I know you're going to tell me there's, I don't know, 148 hours. When were those hours worked? I've got no idea unless you tell me. But I could sort of guess. I could proportion it through the period maybe. Would that meet the legal requirements? I'm not sure if it would. But it be close. This is going to be exasperated anyway, isn't it? Because we're yes. getting more RTI requirement. Was it 2025? Correct. Exactly. Yes. Where we are going to have to report work the hours, hours worked. a reference period. So yes. you're not getting away with this one. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> if you wanted to. So, yeah. uh, so there's yeah, an element of. Sorry. Yeah. But how many employers have time and attendance systems? I'd say 90% don't. Oh, so you might need to think about how you're going to do it. But that's in relation to accrual. So the accrual is based on 52 weeks averaged hours, excluding <laughs> weeks you were sick or on statutory payment leave of any kind, in which case you then have to go back another week up to 104 weeks. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> it's nonsense uh, to find it, to then apply the percentage, which might not be 1207%, because if you give someone six weeks entitlement, it'd be a higher percentage to actually accrual and then round up half hours. And you can round up under half hour, but you don't have to, I think. Oh, well, I that's my interpretation is an employer may round down, but you have to round up. And and the other aspect, I guess, is rolled up holiday. You have to do similar with rolled up holiday. But you aren't looking at hours worked. You're looking at pay for each week, even if you're fortnightly, lunar and monthly paid. Um, when does the pay relate to a week? Well, I can proportion that across the period as a guess. But unless you tell me, I've got no idea. Is reality, but, I think, also, isn't it? but I guess also you've got yeah. the secondary here where let's look at national minimum wage. It's yeah. what should have been paid in the period, not necessarily yeah. what was. And obviously with national minimum wage audit, if it is paid in the following period, 
but during the period okay. before, you have to incorporate it in the correct period audit. So is it going to be the same? So I well, think there's other things here. Sorry about that. I'm, I'm doing well. No, Simon, I, think, uh, I don't think that. you've got an answer to that one yet, have you? <laughs> no, I don't. I'm just poking uh, yeah. at the fire, Karen. Yes. Yeah, I, I've got a solution for national minimum wage. Um, the challenge is, are you going to provide the data that meets it, etc.? So there is an element of changing and thinking, actually, do we need to review what we do as businesses to comply with these? And I think you're quite right, Richard. The law for each of these pieces, you could say, well, it's employment law, so it will all align. It doesn't. It's different. Taxation, employment, holidays, employment, uh, statutory uh, payments, etc., uh, all may refer to a week, but a week could be something different for each of them. And it's like with pensions. Um, we think, well, we're paying last month now because of arrears. Well, that's OK for national minimum wage purposes. But for pensions, you can't use last month because it has to incorporate the payday. So the pay reference period for pensions, i.e., is now. It's all different. Uh, can software handle those nuances? Absolutely can if it's written uh, correctly. Uh, can we as humans have a capacity to understand all the nuances? Uh, only if you're a strange character like me, I th tend to say. Um, most people. Or would you want to? <laughs> well, well, the reality of it sometimes, Karen, is why bother, isn't it? But but as Richard's pointing out, when the auditors are in, you have to. Yeah. And of course, as agents, whatever, whether it be bureau or otherwise, your clients look to you to explain. So unfortunately, we're in a position where we have no choice but to have lots of bedtime reading, trying to understand and, and then interpret and then put it in a language that somebody who really doesn't want to know about payroll or employment law understands what they need to do as a business, which is what most businesses just want to know. Tell me what I need to do. And I might not like wanting to do it, so I may choose to do it or I may not. <laughs> yeah, but relating to the question a little bit, Natalie, if I extend that into rolled up holiday, a lot of the social media discussion that goes on um, is say is kind of heralding the fact that this has come back. But a lot of the circumstances they're implying they're going to use it for, they're not irregular paid workers or part year workers. So that would be unlawful. They're regular paid. They just happen to do a bit of overtime here and there. This new law doesn't apply to those cases. They're under 5.6 weeks, 52 weeks averaging. Okay. Because I think you're right. People get very confused with what is variable and what is irregular. They're right. different things. Myself included. <laughs> so um, another question that's come in. Um, somebody has downloaded their tax code changes via DPS viewer at the start of the month. And one employee has a change effective date of the 11th of Jan, but, the, but was then made a lever on the 9th of Jan. He's not happy that he's had the newer, worst tax code applied. Can somebody please advise? Richard. <laughs> oh, so, so, <laughs> can I go through that again? So they've left on the 9th or the 11th. You're starting to sound like you weren't listening. Yeah, yeah <laughs> when's pay, when, when payday, Natalie? Because that'll be pay the 11th and the employee was made a lever on the 9th. Yeah, but the when principle was is if the coding's come from the payment. Ooh. 
Yeah. I don't think that yeah. does. If the coding's come through for that period and you are paying in that period right. and the P45 has not been issued, then you apply the apply the apply coding. The tax code. Yes. And but if you was paid before the 11th, yes. you would apply the tax coding that was in place. So it depends on when they were paid. The 11th. Yes. So so it's not when they leave doesn't matter unless a P45 has been issued already, in which case the tax code is 0T1. But if the P45 hasn't been issued, you take the coding because it's been issued before payday. Fantastic. And another question in, HMRC has not allowed for March exercises to be processed on the next tax year, tax year and forced us to do as adjustments. Is this something new? Uh, depends what that means, I think. Uh, might need a little bit more information of what they mean by exercises. Is that relation to share scheme or something? Yes. In which case, there's an element of, uh, is that HMRC? You wouldn't think that would be an HMRC issue, though. It wouldn't be in their command. That would be a business decision on when data can come through, I would thought. But I'm guessing on some of the detail. But um, there wouldn't be a problem with doing yeah, it. I've just got a little March. note here saying shares. Apologies. Yes. No, that's okay. So I wouldn't have thought HMRC would be a decision maker in the process at all. But if it was done in April, you can apply it in April. Fabulous. That make and then, so um, I'm, hopefully that helps. Don't know. Yeah. We hope. Um, we've got one final question as well. Um, does an employee have to provide proof that their partner has given binding notice to their employer to end their SMP? Surely it's easy for their partner to claim SMP in full too. Can we go? Yeah, do you want to go? Sam, yeah, you're go. not. <laughs> well, I, I'll give you a view. And I think is uh, they don't have to give, depends what you mean by proof. Uh, I don't think they have to turn up with um, certificates or things or letters from their former employer. They just have to complete the standard application form for shared parental pay. And that is sufficient. Whether they breach the terms of that is not really the affairs of the new employer of the second one because they don't relate to them. They're not employed by them, but they would have uh, given a copy of the in effect binding agreement with their own employer. Any thoughts, Karen? Forget, uh, yeah, as yeah. I say, don't forget, we also have to record um, the yes. name of the partner and the national Correct. insurance. So the, when this came in, I think Richard, I think we were both on statutory payments at the time. When this came in, it was one of the biggest concerns that we had with shared was we didn't it, it wasn't right that the employer of the partner, let's call it, in the shared parental leave arrangement should have to somehow get to know the person who was in, you know, had the main charge for the child. Um, so that's why it was OK, we'll, we'll compromise. And the employer for the partner part, you record their name, address, and what happens is when it goes to HMLC, whatever algorithms get put in place, there'd be a check done then. So obviously HMRC wouldn't share exactly how they were going to do that quite clearly, but it, it will get, it would get picked up or that would be the plan. So HMRC can see that individual's record and would quite, I would be able to identify that somebody was claiming fraudulent. And I think there have been some cases where HMRC have prosecuted for it. 
Not many, but I think they did do one. So they proved it can work. So there is a way, there is a mechanism. So I wouldn't worry. It's not your responsibility to find out about the, whether it be the mother who's given birth or the other adoptee or whoever is the primary child care, if you like. I'm trying to think of the right way to put that. Um, then, then that's how it goes. So HMRC would know who they are. So it'd be up to them to decide whether or not there was any misdoings going on. Fantastic. So that does cover all of our questions that have come in. Speaking of which, we are here every month. Our next payroll question time is on Tuesday, the 27th of February. So lastly, I just would like to thank you all for joining us on the first payroll question time of 2024 and my first ever payroll question time. Who knows? I might be invited back another time. I would love to say thank you to our fantastic panel, Simon, Richard and Karen. Your expertise and knowledge has been inspiring and insightful as always. Thank you to all of our listeners for, as well. Thank you for, for joining us. Thank you for all of your questions. And we look forward to seeing you all again on next month's Payroll Question Time. Thank you so much for tuning into the Payroll Podcast with Nick Day of JGA Recruitment. If you need help with a current payroll vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favorite podcast channels. Till next time.